the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. Got uh, some really good quotes this morning. My father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. Optimism, optimism is a choice and one of the most powerful we can make. Ronald Reagan, one of my heroes. Something in human nature causes us to start slacking off the moment of our greatest accomplishment. As we become successful, you'll need a great deal of self-discipline not to lose your sense of balance, humility, and commitment. Ain't that the truth? The past cannot be changed. The future is in your power. I think that was uh, White, who was a senator at that time. And then one last one, because it's uh, getting near Thanksgiving here. People of mediocre ability sometimes achieve outstanding success because they don't know when to quit. Most men succeed because they are determined to. It was George Allen, by the way. Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, we, we tell you that if, if you'd like to get any of the material that you hear on this show, you go to WHK 1420 AM. And uh, go to local podcasts, go all the way down to Tim Hayes or uh, I believe it's Smart Investor Hour. I'm not sure which one. By the way, uh, we are podcast on that uh, starting about, I think, Tuesday or Monday morning at uh, noon. And uh, we are podcast some other places, but I'm not going to advertise those on WHK. So uh, anyway, um, if you do go down to podcast, you go directly to my web page. So uh, my web page has a lot of stuff. On it, uh, I would suggest, highly suggest that you start to look at the uh, technical stuff every week. Uh, but if you'd like to get our newsletter, uh, the uh, November newsletter is, is still out there. We should be getting December any time now. But it's three regrets of re- retirees, uh, some t- 10 year-end tax tips, that type of thing. Uh, also, we have some new stuff out there today, and we had um, uh, a... Uh, new, we, we had a conference this week, and it was a good one. And I, you know, I talked to people about this uh, a while back. But it's our telecommunicate, our tele- technology, internet, media, and telecommunications conference. And we have, uh, you know, the highlights from the two days, uh, which is a great piece. And then the savvy investors client uh, credit workbook. And if if you uh, if you don't know how to use debt, you know, you should. Uh, that can make you rich, but it can make you poor, too. And then we have a global uh, income best ideas. And uh, I believe our best uh, our best energy ideas are now available also, too. So um, anyway, uh, don't forget that this year we have some new limits. Your IRA contribution is 6000 still. Um, the catch-up limit for those 50 or older remains unchanged at, at 1000 uh, so just don't forget that. But employer-sponsored retirement plans increased to 19500 for 2022, and the catch-up limits have gone up to 6500 So there's a good good chance that you can pick those up. You know, I was looking at um, the uh, the notes to this. Uh, well, here, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll start that in a second, and I'll be back to that. Um, Americans are eating more snack bars and more snacks in general. Snack bar sales in the U.S., including nutrition and performance bars, rose 3.2% last year, according to the firm Mintel, outpacing overall packaged food sales. Sales for older cereals and granola bars fell 3.7%. For the first time on record, the 400 wealthiest Americans last year paid a lower tax rate, spanning federal, state, and local uh, taxes than any other income group, according to the information released. The overall tax rate on the richest 
400 households last year was just 23%, meaning that the combined tax payments equaled less than one quarter of their total income. Um, however, it is still 30% of the total tax bill. So, you know, <laughs> they're paying some of their fair share anyway. A private equity takeover result in significant job losses, according to a landmark new study by Josh Lerner of Harvard Business School. Steve Davis of the University of Chicago, uh, and Steve Davis of the University of Chicago, sorry about that. The new report finds average job losses 4.4% in, in the two years after a company is bought by private equity uh, relative to control con- companies. This is up from less than 1% uh, in the earlier study. What, you know, Basically what they're doing is they're cutting their costs. Uh, <clears throat> that's what private equity is about. You know, you come in, you cut your costs, do all that stuff. So it's not uh, it's not fantastic for anybody. But, uh, you know, um, I did uh, uh, listen to quite a bit of the um, the update on the uh, tele- uh, technology, Internet, media and telecommunications conference. And I thought it was really good stuff. There was also a piece out there. It was called the top 10 questions for Internet companies. And, um, you know, if if you know our analyst, Mark Mahaney, <clears throat> he's quite I mean, he's probably the best on the in the business. He's constantly on CNBC. <clears throat> uh, but they asked 10 questions of each company and it's a great piece. But you can also get um, the 2019 RBC telecommunication or technology, Internet media uh, and telecommunications reviews. So I have both days, uh, and I, I think that's important. <clears throat> and, you know, as of the close on uh, Thursday, October 31st, we entered what is known as the seasonally strong six months of the uh, uh, market. And historically speaking, the performance in the six-month fronts we have just entered is much better than the period we just left. In fact, there's really no question that November to April period has provided unbelievably better returns uh, over the time than May to October, uh, whether you average it, annualize it, compound it, whatever you want to do. All right. So, um, but suffice it, uh, suffice it to say that the six strong six months of the year have accounted for entirely of the Dow's average annual compounded return since 1950. So um, everybody is, is, you know, jumping ship. I mean, it's amazing. People are just now starting to put money back in the market and they put a they took about sixty billion out in the last two months, so um you know that probably means that l- that little correction you know which started last week. I've been talking about you know wait for a pullback and that there'd be a little bit of a pullback. I didn't said it was not going to be a big one, but I said don't get bearish right okay so um you know with this little pullback, I would be buying if I were you uh, that was with tim hayes i i've got I've got more stocks now that I have money, which is unusual um Somebody asked me, this is Ed, he said, uh, Tim, talk to me about the uh, exchange-traded funds. Uh, I think the exchange-traded funds are interesting because uh, let's say you take the XLG, which is the top big holdings. You know, a lot of people see uh, the perceived liquidity is the market cap of those three, but... um, if you look at the 30-day volume and then you take the inventory stats and that type of thing, there's an iceberg hidden beneath that little top. So you, you gotta um, you got to be careful with ETFs, um, especially ones that don't trade a lot. You know, there's now more ETFs than there are stocks on the New York Stock Exchange, and that's, that's saying something, so be careful. Now, one of the things I talked about uh, several times last year was uh, that software – uh, has been one of the reasons the market's been going up. And uh, succeeding in today's world uh, increasingly is about software. And w- whether as a tool to enhance employee productivity, uh, differentiate products, or, or better connect with customers. But look, many successful companies are investing heavily in software to enhance their operations and competitive positions. Software spending as a percent of total of technology-related capital expenditures has steadily risen from a minuscule level in 1960 to nearly 50% this year. Um, among may, many interesting businesses using software to get ahead is, is the online retailer of home goods. The forward-looking company is now investing in aggressively in technology, uh, but there's also stuff in the hardware business. So uh, even in you know waste management, uh, one company has transitioned to a, ma- 
modern uh, cloud-based type resource planning thing. Um, and it's it's working for them. Uh, so I think by embracing software, companies can stay ahead of their competition and produce durable good, good, good durable growth, okay? Um, uh, but, you know, like I said, I, that's why I think you want to look at the technology, internet, media, and telecommunication notes. Um, you know, I was... Uh, I was looking at a quote, and it went like this. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. Never before has our nation enjoyed at once so much prosperity and social progress with so little internal crisis and so few external threats. Never before have we been blessed, uh, opportunity, uh, had such a blessed opportunity, such as a profound obligation to build a more perfect union of our founders' dreams. My fellow Americans, the State of the Union is as strong as it's ever been. Uh, and and that was uh, basically Bill Clinton, and it was a year before September 11th and a new recession, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, recessions come and go. Uh, the, the politics are out there, so just remember that part. Um, you know, I, I wanted to talk, uh, you know, uh, some people have been asking me about these environmentally social governance portfolios, and I, I think, uh, you know, if you're going to be active, uh, be systematic, too. And, and that's uh, a quote I got from Michael Batnick uh, from the uh, irreverent investor. Uh, so I think when you're, you're considering active strategies, it's important, you know, for you to um, not to rely on anyone's institution, uh, intuition. You know, you need expertise. You need uh, mental or emotional well-being to, to get this stuff done. But there's more and more, uh, I mean, we now have three managers that we work with that are doing these ESG-type uh, uh, investing. And uh, so it, I think it's going to get more popular. And, uh, you know, there's a new movie out called Ford versus Ferrari. If we did it on a rel- relative strength basis, Ferrari's killing Ford. <laughs> um, and some people asked me about the bull market, how long will it last? And I said, uh, uh you know, I think last December, I, almost 12 months ago, I said uh, that my year-end target probably for the S&P 500 would be a 3,100. Uh, many thought that was way too bullish, but uh, here we are. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. You know, what's interesting is the number of stocks hitting new lows. Uh, if I take a, take a look at the 52-week lows, it's oil service and oil are responsible for about uh, 35%. So... You know, they're just not giving uh, these things any break, you know. So uh, it's it's a tough thing to uh, deal with, but it is it is what it is. Um, but the bullish percent for mid-cap did turn up this week. So we're getting more and more and more confirmation on this stuff, which is really, really good. Uh, and domestic equities continue to reign. Uh, technology reigns the, the highest. But it's not, it's not the uh, Facebooks and all those names. It's some other names. And you know what? Let's take a break and we'll be right back. This is Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. That's all I was just saying. Now that we're back here, um, technology has reigned at the top for a really long time. And, uh, matter of fact, it's the longest period of time I can remember. And industrials are next. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, the technology sector group has held the throne as top-ranked sector group in dynamic asset-level investing that our friends at Dorsey Wright provide us with since April 20th of 2017 without interruption. So in recent weeks, the group has extended its margin of leadership relative to other groups. So people just keep buying is what it comes down to. Um, you know, uh, if we look at the short term, small caps are leading. If we look at the long term, they're lagging, which is interesting because, uh, you know, normally uh, once you start having a short term outperformance, you start to look really good on the out on the long term performance, too. And U.S. small caps have broken a one, two, three, four, five quadruple top uh, on the I, the S&P small cap index. Uh, that's that's a pretty notable uh, reversal, and you know that could be uh, the beginning of something very very big for small caps. So I I had a couple questions. Uh, uh, you know, 
I, I talked to a gentleman uh, down south this, this week who's also listening to my show. He's, uh, in, you know, along the eastern seaboard. And he said, what are your major concerns? Well, I think, you know, my top concerns are uh, U.S. political uncertainty about the election. Um, God help us. I don't know if you saw the Democratic uh, debate, but my personal opinion, <laughs> I didn't see anything there that made me jump and shout and run all about. Um U.S.-China trade tensions, a, a global economic recession, because there is, there is stagnation now uh, across the most, economic, uh, most economies, stretched U.S. equity valuations, so they keep putting the money into the same things, a Federal Reserve policy mistake, which has happened, as you know, last year, slowing global corporate profits, uh, geopolitical uncertainty in the Middle East and Europe, and then I thought uh, an increase in downgrades in and defaults in the bond market. Um, and a lot of people are extended their duration, which could be a problem there too. But, you know, it's interesting, slowing global profits. And I think this is one of the things that could cause upside too. Boy, nobody's, a, nobody's, everybody's bringing their numbers down. I mean, they're just bringing them down, bringing them down, bringing them down. So if there's any surprise, it's going to be the upside, I think. So uh, now I did notice on November 4th that the cash percentile rank for U.S. equities, fell below 33% level, down to 28%. That's the lowest uh, reading we've had since December 10th last year of 2018. So as a refresher, this indicator tracks where money market ranks within a matrix of small or subgroups among a broader asset class. The cash percentile rank functions in thirds with the bottom third indicating an asset class is strong against cash, So meaning that basically stocks are better than cash. Uh, so that's that's a really good thing, um, you know. So when when it moves down, your exposure to equity should move up. Is what I'm trying to tell you. Um, don't forget, you know, we're getting close. We're not there yet, but you got to start thinking about the the January effect. Uh, now it may be hard to believe, but we're in the final stretch of 2019, and um, you know, there are several tendencies of or historical biases that we highlight through the year. And in many cases, these are observations that have documented over time within one of our favorite, favorite, uh, favorite trading sessions, and that's the January barometer. And it's even uh, performance patterns surrounding pre- presidential election years. Another historical tendency we discuss each year around this time is the January effect. And the January effect refers to the tendency of small caps to outperform their large caps in the early in the calendar year. And the reason is, is because there's a lot of tax loss selling or, uh, you know, uh, their money managers are willing to take more of a, of a, uh, a risk at the beginning of the year and not so much of a risk at the end of the year. So don't forget, you know, you got to be looking for small caps in the next month or two that you're, you know, you want to highlight. I did notice the long-term bullish percent for finance turned up, uh, and you know, is, is looking fairly good. So we'll, we'll keep that in mind. Um, that's the financial sector. I'm sorry. So, you know, the Dow, uh, breaks out and I said, maybe there'd be a pullback and it, it started to last week. We'll, we'll see it, but we are seeing lots of things hits new, new highs. S&P 500 hit a new high. And this is, uh, you know, everybody was pretty negative a month ago and Tim was saying, Hey, don't be too negative. Uh, the NASDAQ composite hit a new high. All right. Uh, the communications sector hit a new high. Um, you know, so you're starting to see a lot of things that are very, very positive. So don't get negative. Every, you know, believe me, I I listen to people all the time. And, you know, I I think there's three signs now that we're seeing that the offensive team's taking the, the, the field. Actually, it's about five. You know, first of all, the bullish percent went into bull confirmed status. And I haven't seen that uh in a long, long time. we got stocks outperforming bonds, uh, which is really positive. And the the high beta stocks are now outperforming the low volatility. So people are switching into high beta and getting out of the low volatility stocks, which is, you know, I think is uh, fairly important in my humble opinion. Um, you know, if you, if you get, if these guys start to, uh, you know, start revving up their engines, uh, you know, January and February could be a, you know, a, a big time uh, because nobody's expecting it. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many people come into my office 
saying it's going to be the end of the world or, you know, I, I need to go to cash or whatever. You know, it, it happens all the time. So, uh, so anyway, we, what we do have is the high beta index starting to turn up, and that's really, really good. And offensive sectors are outperforming defensive sectors. That is really important. All right. Now, we had talked about the consumer staples last spring, and we talked about utilities and real estate back in 2018. Well, now we're finally starting to see uh, the XLK, the XLP, and, and uh, you know, that type of thing starting to, to start to outperform. So, uh, you, you know, you're getting the XL, I mean, the XLK, I meant the XLF, and the XLI, and the XLV are leading since October, where the XLP, the XLU, and the XLRE, which is real estate, are starting to underperform. So they're, they're putting away the yield stocks, and they're starting to buy other things, all right? So... Um, that's a that's, you know, I can't tell you how important that is. So the money's flowing in the right direction is what I'm trying to tell you, in so many words. Um, but you know, I look, I I would say that you know. So far, we're we're, uh, we've moved up pretty quickly, <coughs> so there could be a possibility that we, we could, pull back a little bit. The VIX is down around twelve. So nobody's expecting any kind of correction, which means you probably have one. <laughs> uh, and it'll be short-lived, and it won't be too scary, but it'll. Uh, most people will panic and, and get out, and that's not the right thing. See, I think we still have this normal market cycle, technically, uh, despite the abnormal news backdrop. Uh, equity markets continue to trend higher, define the bears, and those waiting for the textbook pullback following the October-November surge. So, you know... I, I, my view remains unchanged, and I see, you know, uh, we continue to move up. Uh, any term momentum unlikely to peak until probably the late first quarter, I would think. Um, the risk assets are pausing for the short term, I think. Uh, you know, let, you've, you've made a big move, and you're going to pause for a while, maybe pull back, you know, that type of thing. Um, and, and I still like, you know, cyclicals and growth stocks over bond proxies, Okay. Uh, bond proxies are, are not, not where you want to be, but I mean, if, if you look, uh, this, this looks so much like right before the big move in 2016 and 17, I mean, on the charts, it's almost unbelievable. And we've, we've had the relative performance, uh, start to break out too. And bonds have broken out uh, versus, uh, I mean, stocks versus bonds, but on a daily basis, you know, the relative strength. The RSI ratings are very, very, very overbought. But the Russell, the Russell is broken out, and daily I think it's going to turn down a little bit. But, you know, we started to see relative performance versus the S&P start to, to break out. Now, it, now it's pulling back a little bit. And growth versus value on a daily basis, uh, growth uh, has w- was losing for a while. Now it's turned back up. So uh, we'll just, you know, they're going back to the same old stocks, which is interesting. Now, I've been talking about foreign stocks, and they've broken out, but I, I saw in Dorsey Wright's thing, and I'll mention this again in the next part of the show, that they've been positive, positive momentum for 12 weeks. So I think what you want to do is, you know, I've been talking about the EFA and the EEM, um, and I'm look, I'm not recommending those. I'm just saying, you know, that's the ones I'm looking at. They, they, they have been doing quite well, so you want to, you know, you don't want to add money at this point, you know, that type of thing. The 10-year notes... Uh, have had three bottoms right at that 137 to 140 area. And uh, it'd be interesting to see if it uh, pulls back up again. Um, and if you look at the TLT, which is actually the bond ETF, it's made a series of higher lows, um, lower highs, I'm sorry. And, uh, but the R, you know, the daily RFI, RSI is neutral and it's kind of rebounding from some oversold conditions. And if you look at the U.S. dollar, the monthly momentum has peaked, and it's stalling right at its downtrend line going back to 1984. Hmm. Uh, gold short-term momentum's bottoming. Uh, you know, I told you the recent pullback. You, you want to start to accumulate some stuff. I don't think you have to be in a hurry right at the moment. But I, I notice gold is weakening versus copper, which is uh, very unusual, and it it happens from time to time. But it's um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I think copper is used in industrial works a lot more than gold. And probably what's happening is uh, we're starting to see some industrial usage. 
You know, one of the things that has not happened in this country in a long, long time is uh, replacement of capital equipment and business spending. You know, we started to do it, and then uh, in the, the beginning of the Trump administration, then they started this impeachment stuff and, you know, started uh, beating them up, and now it's gone away. But uh, I think gold and, you know, copper could do okay, but I think gold may be a very interesting scenario in a, in a couple months, probably first quarter. Uh, and and I think the gold stocks are extremely underowned. I mean, it's one of the lowest institutional ownership periods in gold's history. And usually, when the institutions underown something, um, it's a it's a good time to uh, get involved because you know, look, uh, they they don't own oil, they don't own gold, they don't own commodities. Something tells me that's a good. By the way, they didn't own very much biotech, and biotech's been the leader for the last two months. Uh, they don't own much medical, and I think that's going to change fairly quickly too. So uh, keep your fingers crossed. We're going to be right back with the bullish percent. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. Um, if you just tuned in. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And once again, um, <clears throat> if you'd like to get, you know, I, I talk about a lot of stuff on this show. Um, if you go to WHK 1420 AM and uh, go down to the local podcast, down to Tim Hayes and the Smart Investor Show, it takes you directly to my webpage. And if you want to get the um, the technology, inter, uh, internet, media, and telecommunications you know, the first day or second day, you want to get the, the the Credit Savvy Investors Handbook. You know, you just go straight there. It has all these contact me and emails me's. And if you'd like, I'll set you up. Uh, I did I did not mention that we got a new December newsletter and how to give like a billionaire when you don't have billions to give and uh, take this quiz, the Social Security Retirement Earnings Test, uh, which is important for most people. And for college savings, uh, 529 plans are hard to beat. And it goes from there. So, uh, if you'd like to get any of that stuff, you know, just go to WHK fourteen twenty local podcast down to Tim Hayes, and I'll take it from there. You know, I've been talking for a couple of weeks now that we're kind of overbought, and I think you know uh, you have to understand uh, overbought, oversold, and with large cap domestic equity indices trading near all time highs following a recent very broad market rally, uh, many investors are trading on the overbought side of the weekly distribution curve. And as a refresher, uh, the weekly overbought oversold, OBOS is what the, our friends at Dorsey Wright call it, reading gauges where a position trades in relation to a 10-week trading band. A reading of zero indicates a normal uh, you know, reading, uh, suggesting that the position is neither oversold nor overbought. Okay, But when you start getting up there in a the 74% range, um, that's pretty overbought, especially for an index. You know, you get the negative, uh, you know, we, we were at the bottom back in, uh, and that's why I was so bullish back in uh, early um, September. And right now we're at the 74 rank, and that's pretty pretty big for uh, an index. So I would suggest that there be probably a, a hair bit of a pullback here. And so, look, I have a great screen about uh, uh, buying on pullbacks. So, you know, we just look for the best, stock with the with a top rating and uh you know we work accordingly um okay now we talk about the bullish percent and the bullish percent is brought to us by our friends at dorsey Wright. and and it, look people say i'm not buying because of x's and o's no i didn't suggest that okay uh what i'm suggesting is is that all this tells us is the amount of risk in the market because what we found is that when people start selling everybody starts selling especially when you have an overbought market. And when everybody's very negative, it's a bit great time to buy. So all this does is re- tells us when the risk is highest, and it goes from 0 to 100. And when we get in over 70, that's the red zone. That's when everybody's very happy with things. And then when you get below 30, that's uh, the green zone, when everybody's not so happy with things. And that's when you should be buying and when you should be selling above 70. That doesn't mean, look, uh, it, there's some other things in there, like the domestic equities are number one asset class now. Back in 2007, 2008, they were the lowest form of life. 
So that was when you used a move over 70 to sell things. All right. But in the meantime, uh, we're at 56.6. So we're still in that mid-range. We're in a column of X's. By the way, X's means we have the offensive team on the field. O's mean we have the defensive team on the field. Uh, Same with the uh, small caps, which are at 45, which, you know, actually are better buying opportunity probably than the large caps. And then the world index is at 45, and they're in a column of X's also. So what you're seeing is everything's working, okay? Uh, Now, that doesn't mean every stock's going to work, but it's working. And one of the things I thought was kind of interesting is healthcare and real estate were the best performing sectors over the last three weeks with gains of about 2%. How's that, huh? So uh, that's, that's really interesting. Now, we also have something we call the, uh, the current reading for the positive trend for the New York Stock Exchange. Historically, readings above 50 level have been a positive sign for the market, and the fact that that chart remains in X's shows the readings have been continuing longer. And we just broke over we're at 51.5, so good sign for the market, another reason why the market looks like it's going up. And if I look at dynamic asset level investing, there's two groups that have passed the bogey check versus cash, and that's domestic equities and international equities. Fixed income has failed, commodity has failed, and currencies have failed. So, you know, it looks like to me that domestic equities are the place to be. Now, uh, we've been, the weekly momentum has been positive for about four weeks in most of the domestic equities. But on the front, you know, on the emerging markets and the foreign markets, it's been between, well, it's 12 weeks, basically. That's a long time. And I said this last week. I said at 10 weeks, it was a long time. 11 weeks was a long time. 12 weeks is a very, very long time. So, uh, you know, I don't think you want to be rushing out to buy these things. It's it's like the S&P 500. It's 74% overbought. It's either going to consolidate. There's two types of corrections. There's a time correction, all right, which means you just go sideways for a while. Or there's a price correction. You know, we're not sure which one it's going to be, but. You know, eight of the 10 major ETFs uh, finished the week in positive territory with just uh, two finished down for the week. That's a pretty good record. On a pure price performance, uh, the S&P 500 XLG performed the best with a gain of uh, almost a percentage. With the biggest losers being the iShares small cap index, although it did break out. All right. Uh, what's interesting here is the SPY, which is the, the Standard & Poor's 500, is outperforming the RSP, which is the equal weight index, by 1.9% so far this year. Uh, this, you know, this is near-term outperformance, but it hasn't been enough to put an end to the long-standing strength of RSP over SPY. So the the equal weight has been much stronger than the SPY for a long, long time. Uh, so that that's kind of eat. I think you know, although equal weight uh, remains favored. From the long, broad perspective, this is not always the case on an individual sector. So you got to remember that. So, look, I, I, on equal weight sectors, um, you know, if, if we look at equal weight, it's the, the – in communication services, the market capitalization weight is, is killing equal weight. In basic materials, it's about even. Uh, it's about even in consumer staples. Uh, in energy, the market capitalization weight is – is held up much better by about two percentage points. Um, financials are about equal. Uh, healthcare, equal weight is about is twenty percent up twenty percent, and market capitalization weight only thirteen. Industrials, um, the equal weight is winning by about three percentage points. In technology, the market capitalization weight is is up by six points, and uh, real estate's about three, and then also uh, utilities is about three and a half. So. Those are big numbers when you after a long period of time. All right, so then we, we always talk about the bullish percent for sectors. And what we're looking for is just the favored sectors. And we're up to 13. So we've broken the record, you know, we from basically October of last year till right this week. Uh, or Well, the week before, because last week we went to 12. We've been 11 or lower. So we got to 13 this week. Unfortunately, a few of them are overbought, but I'm just going to talk about the sectors, and I'm starting with the most overbought to the least overbought. So in the 70 area, remember that's overbought, is building, semiconductors, and gaming. You've got to wait on those. Uh, 65 is electric utilities. Uh, 60 is machinery, forest and paper products, transportation, real estate. Um, 
In the 50 area is electric products, uh, Wall Street, housing and waste management, and then restaurants are at 45. So restaurants look like they're probably pretty good shape to be buying at this point. Uh, but 13 is the big number, and uh, it means that the market's broadening out. That's what you want to see. Now, we have a bunch of groups in bull confirmed status, but they haven't turned up and, and been favored, and that's drugs, uh, the Internet, leisure, metals, uh, precious metals, uh, metals non ferrous, I'm sorry, protection services, steel and iron, and textiles. So those, those you'd like to see turn up. We did know game saw gaming move up. Uh, it was average last week. It's gone to favored, and biotech was you know out to lunch is now almost at the the neutral st- stance. It's been the best performer for the last month though. Uh, protection services uh, was was favored is now moved un- unfavored. And if I looked at the international breakdown of dynamic asset level investing, uh, Europe emerging and Asia Pacific emerging have been the one two best places to be. Uh, you know, whenever you have a fund score over three, three in uh, Dorsey rate system, it's good. There, the international small cap sector is at three point two five, so that's that's good. And we did notice that a couple of the Greek ETFs did break out this week. I don't know what's happened in Greece, but uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, I looked at fixed income, and, and although they've pulled back somewhat from the recent highs, if I look at the the track record of, you know, the intermediate long-term U.S. Treasury indexes, uh, the 10- and 30-year remain on buy signals in their respective default charts, uh, having risen approximately 40 to 50 basis points from their September lows. But if you look, uh, if you're worried about interest rates rising, you could simply shorten your duration, you know, if you're worried. But if you look at the actual yield versus what some of the analyst projections were, I mean, it's incredible. (laughs) You know, the actual yields, you know, less than 2% on the 10-year. And uh, some of the projections are, you know, 4 or 5%. Um, and look, I, I think uh, not all the bonds out there uh, are where you want to be. You know, it, it, long-term treasuries, intermediate-term treasuries, and U.S. aggregate bonds are the ones that look pretty good to me. Um, if I look at the commodities, uh, oil's been positive for four weeks, hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, gold's been negative for 11 weeks, uh, and it looks like the the U.S. oil fund just turned down into a column of O's, so you got to be worried there. And then we talk about relative strength changes, and, um, you know, relative strength is a measure of how a stock is performing when compared to something else, in this case, the S&P 500 equal weight index. And each day, the stock's closing price is divided by the uh, the, the equal weight index, and it results in... in uh, you know, the decibel will be a move one way or another. And a relative strength chart shows, a, you know, a double top buy signal. That's a very big positive. But here's some of the names that have given relative strength buy signals this week. Infernia Corporation, that's in the semiconductor area. Radiant, Schweitzer, uh, Maduit, Moderna, which is in the biotech area. Exo, Exo, uh, Xbiotech, the Stars Group, Wavi, uh, I guess it's Wave Life Tech uh, Sciences. Uh, Global Medical REIT, uh, Line Corporation, that's a takeover. On the sell side, it's First Cash, Ventus, Interstat Investments, Arcugus Therapeutics, Gaslog, Centerpoint Energy, and Kronos. Uh, by the way, I did notice that the Vanguard Midcap ETF uh, will break a triple top at 118. So some of the value stocks are starting to pick up. We'll be right back with uh, Insiders. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. And uh, we do have a couple things available beyond the uh, technology, internet, media, and telecommunications uh, two-day thing and our credit thing, uh, our credit savvy, the savvy credit workbook. Uh, we do have the dividend growth portfolio, our top ideas, and our prime income list. And um, if you're 40 years old and you got a dividend growth portfolio, uh, by the time you're 65 and you're retiring... Uh, you'll have probably a 10% yield on most of the stocks. Uh, you know, people that grow their dividend 6 to 8% a year. You know, the rule of 72 says that if you're growing your portfolio uh, or growing your dividend at 7%, it takes 10 years to double it. So if you've got a 2% uh, 
it's going to 4%, and another 10 years is going to 8%. <laughs> All right? So then you get another three years, you're probably going to be 9 10%, right? Um, so there you go. Uh, it's a great way to you know position yourself in beautiful uh, companies, companies that really do well. You can't fake a dividend. The prime income list is for those people who have already retired. And, uh, you know, it's it's I think it's yielding 4.14 percent. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and you get taxed at dividend tax rates, not regular income like CDs and bonds. OK, so that's another thing to think about. And then the uh, the best idea is there's two stocks on there that I really love that I've been talking to people about this week. Um, so we'll leave it at that. Now we talk about insiders. And why do we talk about insiders? Oh, they're boring. But they know their companies better than we do. And if they start buying big, you have to pay pretty close attention. All right? And I'll just say that. Uh, so here we have Keith Meister, who just bought about $15 million worth of MGM. He just bought another $9.2 million at a new high for the year. MGM. You know, everybody's been talking about Macau and, and nobody can go over there because of the Chinese government. And yet MGM's breaking out. I noticed there was some insider buying in Boyd, too. And then Uber. There's been nothing but selling at Uber. And here we have the CEO buying $6 million worth the first time. First buy. This, first buy since they came public. Colonial uh, Credit Real Estate. Uh, was a $18 stock is now a 13 and a quarter dollar stock. The president and CEO bought 597 and then two days later bought $595,000 worth. And then a CIT group, which is in the credit services area, we had uh, three or four buyers. Uh, the CFO bought $750,000. The CFO bought three hundred fifty. dollars I love what those two people buy. The president bought 100000 and the chief, uh, the CSO bought 100000 So, Four buyers, and that's good to see. And I forgot to mention, um, there was another buyer of Uber of 952000 And uh, Compass Diversified, which is uh, a very interesting uh, scenario. I, I, I owned it for years. And uh, um, Elias, I uh, can't, re- can't read my own hi- handwriting, he's the CEO, bought 416000 at a new high. Thought that was interesting. And Agios Pharmaceuticals, um, the CEO bought uh, $1.25 million worth, and then he bought another uh, $250,000 uh, about three days later. Um, our, well, anyway, we, we have a report on that one, so I'll just leave it at that. Drive Shack, which is a little REIT, a $4 REIT, uh, had one person buy one point, well, actually, it's actually not a person. It's a uh, uh, fund, but one point two five million, then bought four hundred forty seven thousand, another three hundred seventy five thousand, and they already own quite a bit. And then um, uh, Adtamlim Global Education, uh, the, the CFO bought five hundred forty thousand, and a director bought one million. Uh, this thing was a fifty dollars stock just in September, and it's now thirty four. You like to see them when they're they're buying when they're down. Simple Foods Group, uh, the director bought $1.7 million. He bought a bunch of stock a couple years ago and made quite a bit of money, so that's, that's a good sign. And then, you know, we talked about uh, the CEO and the CFO of Intel buying a bunch of stock, and we've now we've had Jim Getz, uh, a director at Intel, buying $5 million worth of stock at a new high. <laughs> like seeing that. Um, and then... Uh, there's been some rumors, and this is just a rumor, but Don Bilson, he's head of events-driven research at Gordon Haskett, uh, and he's known for some very unconventional research methods. He he said uh, that he thought there was a big investor planning to buy into Netflix. Don't know who that is. Uh, I don't know if it's right. But, and then a couple things I noticed is uh, on my insider buy list, these two were big, but Energy, Energy Transfer Partners, which is MLPs, the CEO bought thirty nine thousand, and then he bought another six million, and then Plains Group Holdings MLP. The uh, director bought a million, and the CFO bought a million. There's probably eight of those MLPs on my list, by the way. And then uh, uh, Replumen Group, uh, 
backed off from 17 to 13. A director bought 14.9 million. And Camden Holdings, which is another biotech, uh, Perceptive Advisors bought 5 million. They already own a ton of it. Discovery Channel, um, John Rowland, who's, who's a director, bought 74.8 million. Or that's John Malone, I'm sorry. Uh, John Malone knows what he's doing. UGI Corp uh, was a $56 stock. It's now four thirty. dollars uh, Director bought three point nine, dollars then another two point four, dollars And then um, I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, Adage Capital Partners uh, bought a stake in Snap. Uh, they bought uh, 1.8 million shares. So that that's a pretty big uh, move. Um, it's Snap. That's the, uh, you know, Snapchat. All right. So uh, here's what I'm seeing. I, you know, we're at new highs in the S&P 500. Um, we've broken this up channel that's been going. It's just a slight up channel. Uh, so now some people get bearish when you do that. I think it's very positive and I think we're going higher. Um, but look, um, We've, you know, we view the recent new highs in the market as being closer to the end of the rally short term. Um, but, you know, it's a new uptrend and the indicators of advancing stocks, new stocks, volume and, and the non-confirmation of diverse indexes have not given us the signal for a sustained advance yet. Like I said, we got to broaden out. We've got to have 20 companies, uh, 20 groups that are favored. Uh, you know, we, we, we need more. We need the small caps to start going and so the long and short of it, the daily news continues to be uh, concerning in many respects. I mean, boy, have you ever been in a time where there's more to worry about? And it's important to separate what we uh, may be a dramatic on a short-term basis from the longer-term trends that really drive the markets, which is earnings. All right. So it's too often we translate a news story into a long-term trend before the facts are in. And just remember, <clears throat> earnings drive stock. And the earnings estimates are at the are very very low compared to what you would expect them to be at this time. All right, so that's something to think about. Now, if I look at the Dow, you know the Dow's broken on this triangle pattern, so it's probably going to go back to about the twenty seven hundred level, I think. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Now, look, I'm going to talk about a couple of other things. And look, I've been talking about gold for a while, and uh, I, I don't think we're you know we we've necessarily pulled back far enough or whatever. But, boy, I tell you, uh, gold prices have seen a recent slump, and investors should take should not take that as a bearish sign. It's broken out. It's pulling back. Um, but if you look, the, the amount of money in gold is one of the lowest it's ever been. And, uh, you know, the point-and-figure charts don't look great for gold. I mean, we're right we're going to stop. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if, if that does happen. But, um, you know, that's an interesting play. And, and by the way, gold stocks, the institutional ownership is so low, it's, it's uh, one of the lowest in history. So uh, there we go. Now, um, I did notice, I was looking at ETF flows, and U.S. equities, uh, we, we had net flows for the first time in, in ETFs and mutual funds. By the tune of eight million buck, eight billion dollars. I'm sorry, an international three point three, but it's the first time we've had uh, an increase in ETFs in nine, ten weeks, and for the year. All right, so that's a very, very good sign, and it tells me that people are starting to finally come back into the markets, uh, and it will be interesting, you know, to see what happens now. A couple other things I notice is that financials moved up to third place. So it's technology, industrials, and financials. And everybody's poo-pooing them, you know, uh, which is really interesting. But remember, this is a seasonally strong time for the market. If you're going to get bearish, wait till May 1st. <laughs> uh, now, the last couple of years, we've had some bad Januaries because of the Federal Reserve. Well, I think the Federal Reserve is on hold. You know, at least that's what they said in the last meeting. So until they change their mind, I think, you know, we're we're on go. Now, I do think short term we're going to have a little bit of a pullback. So uh, what do you do? Well, I tell you, a couple of things I'd be looking at is, number one, um, you know, we have uh, the credit, the Savvy Investor's Credit Handbook, which I think are really great, 
really great piece, the global best income ideas, and uh, also this uh, technology, internet, media, and telecommunications um, uh, two-day uh, conference, which we had, you know, quite a bit of. Uh, it wasn't as institutionally uh, populized as it normally is. Uh, you know, normally there's a lot of people there, and that tells me that they're still they're they're not believing in them anymore which is usually a good sign, by the way. You know, less people there. You know, you know you're at the right conference when there's no people, nobody there. <laughs> but anyway, I would, you know, you got day one and day two. I would highly recommend that. Uh, you know, that's something that I think you could really do well with. Um, also, the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list are available to you. Uh, dividend growth portfolio, I just told you, is that, it, you know, it grows every year. So if you ever dividends growing by 6% a year, they double, you know, the rule of 72 says they, they double in so many, you know, nine years, 10 years. Um, so if you can double your dividends two year, two times in a row, you're looking at 8 9% by the time you retire if you're 40. Great idea. For those who are retired already, the prime income list, remember, it's about 4% yield. And you've got to remember something is that you get taxed at regular at dividend income. That's 18% or 15% with the Obamacare tax, not at, at your regular income, okay? Uh, so those are available too. Also, best ideas, highly recommend those. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy yourself. And remember, uh, by the way, have a great Thanksgiving. Oh, no, I'll be on before that. No, I won't. I won't. Have a great Thanksgiving. Remember, buy low, sell high. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.